Uh, join me in John chapter 13. And at, at the last time I was with you, which would have been two Sundays ago, I, I preached uh, on Judas Iscariot. Of course, in John 13, uh, a lot of that passage, really from about verse 18 to about verse number 30, deals with Judas Iscariot. Judas being the one who betrays Jesus Christ, sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus, immediately after Judas receives that sop, and he takes that sop, and I believe Jesus, Jesus was giving Judas another chance. He loved Judas. He loved his disciples. He gave Judas another chance, and Judas then walks out, receiving the sop, as Jesus would say, what the sop was, was a, a toast to the, I guess you could say, the, uh, the uh, guest of honor. Judas was the guest of honor, seated on the left-hand side of Jesus, John on the right-hand side of Jesus. And, and Judas then, having heard Jesus, having seen Jesus, having known his heart, still chose to betray him. He leaves that upper room. What when, when, when he leaves that upper room and he decides to betray Jesus, Jesus looks at Judas and says, whatever you're going to do, Judas, do quickly. He knew that 24 hours later, Jesus would uh, be crucified. This is only 24 hours before the crucifixion. He then, in verse number 30, having then received this up, he went out immediately, and it was night. So it was... Nighttime, in the upper room, a very intimate setting with the disciples. Now, something happens in verse number 31. The story shifts just a little bit. Therefore, he was gone out. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Notice how many times Jesus says glorify or glorified, five times. Now, if you were thinking to yourself, Jesus is going to the cross, that is a brutal death, that is a terrible death, that is a gruesome death. Why would Jesus say, now the Son of Man will be glorified instead of crucified, terrified, humiliated, stripped of His clothes, spit upon, beaten, nails driven into his hands and his feet. How would he say him to be glorified? Well, it would be because what they thought would put this man finally to death, three days later he would come out of the tomb. And would be the, the cross would be the way to salvation. Amen. And the Son would receive glory. He said, I'm about to be glorified. Now, he says in verse 33, little children... The only time in, in, in the Gospels that, that Jesus addresses the disciples as little children. Yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to preach. Lord, I pray for these next few minutes that you would uh, use me, Lord, for your glory. May the Word of God be brought out and expounded upon and explained well. And Lord, we're thankful that uh, we have a Word that is alive. I pray that you'll bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe there's four stages of spiritual growth. 
I believe in the life of someone who receives Jesus as Savior, they begin in the infancy stage. The infancy stage in the life of a believer is one who says, help me out. Help me understand the foundational truths of God, God's Word. It's kind of like an infant would be. Uh, it, my wife and I have a 10-month-old. His name is Ridge McRae, and, and Ridge is 10 months old. So everything Ridge does right now, he's saying, Daddy, help me. Mama, help me. When he's hungry, he cries. When he's uh, got a dirty diaper, he lets us know, and sometimes it lets us know. Amen? And then uh, when he's hungry, he uh, will, will, will let us know. When he needs change, he'll let us know. When he's maybe hurt, he'll let us know. When he's teething, he'll let us know. Now, he can't say anything, but he lets us know when he needs help. Put me to bed, get me up, strap me to the car seat, do whatever, take me wherever, help me out. That's what a new believer, when he first receives or she first receives Jesus Christ, help me out. I need help. Show me why it's important for me to congregate with my church family. Show me why it's important for me to pray. Show me why it's important for me to read my Bible. Show me why it's important for me to uh, give uh, an offering to the Lord. Uh, Show me why it's important for me to do this or do that. Hey, it's the infancy stage. Babies will let you know when there's a problem. My wife and I, as I told you, we were gone last Sunday morning. Well, Saturday I was teaching at a marriage conference, and and uh, we were eating lunch with this pastor. He ordered. Uh, we were at a, res- a restaurant called Nukes. It's a, a place there in the uh, Greenville, North Carolina area, and they had pizza and salad. Really good place to eat. And we ordered, we were hungry, it was a later lunch, and uh, the pastor and his wife are sitting across from us, and we're having an in-depth conversation. They bring the pizza, and when they bring the pizza, Ridge is on Rebecca's lap. We're having this deep discussion. All of a sudden, we hear a war cry. I look down, and Ridge's hand's in the pizza. Then I begin to cry. Don't mess my pizza up. No, his hand was, it was hot. And he's letting us know that, hey, things are not okay. Now, could he say, hey, can I interrupt this conversation? I've got my hand in my pizza, and it's rather warm. No, he didn't. He just said, ah. And it took a while, and we're over there apologizing, wiping the tomato sauce off his hands, and I'm over there trying to gather it all so I could eat, and uh, Rebecca's dealing with with Ridge. But you understand, uh, babies let you know when there's some, it's an infancy stage. Then there's the, then there's the, Uh, what I call the discovery stage or the childhood stage. This principle is, tell me what? Tell me. Teach me. Matter of fact, we, we learn a lot in this stage. We learn to talk. We, we learn what we call dada and mama. And we, we learn grammy and, and poppy. And we learn all these food and yum and all the, and we learn these words. It's a very, very important stage, but it is the, what I call the discovery stage. Often we learn to walk. We learn to crawl. We learn what's hot. We learn what's cold. Then there's another stage in our spiritual development. It's the adolescent stage. This statement is, the principal statement is, show me how. Show me 
Teach me. This is a challenging focus, and, and by now I want to do these things. I see others doing it. Uh, most of the time when you have children, multiple children, that, that, that second or third child uh, will see the older siblings doing something, and that way it teaches them. A lot of times they'll walk a little faster. A lot of times they'll crawl a little faster. Sometimes they'll eat their food quicker. Why? They're watching the, the big brother and the big sister do these things. Well, in the spiritual realm, that, that is a challenge. Challenge me. But then there's the fourth stage. The fourth stage is what we call adulthood. It is what we would call the maturity stage. And this stage doesn't tell us, help me, teach me, show me. No, it's follow me. It's a reproduction stage. This is important because the whole time in the life of the disciples for three and a half years, Jesus has entered these disciples into the classrooms of life. He has shown them the way of the miracles. He has shown them the way of even salvation. He has shown them the way and the truth and the life. He has shown these disciples the purpose of the cross. And yet, many times in these classrooms, these disciples have sometimes failed the test. But it is a teaching lesson. And here they are, Jesus is about to die, and Jesus is wanting them to reach the fourth level, the adulthood stage in spiritual maturity. He's wanting them to get up there before he leaves, before he dies, before he resurrects from the, from the grave, and before he ascends back to the Father. He is wanting to leave them in a spiritual mature state. The Apostle Paul, he could make this astounding statement to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter number, uh, I believe, number chapter uh, 4, I believe it was, in verse number 16, he said, follow me, or, or being, I was an example, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, uh, follow me, and basically what he's saying is, follow me as I follow Christ, or be an imitator of me. As I'm imitating Christ, he said, watch me. Now, this was a carnal church. This was a church that was just steeped in all kinds of carnality, but yet Paul says, Follow me. And here he's saying, I want you to step up in the maturity. You're still acting like a baby. You're still acting like an adolescent. You're still acting like a, a preteen. Why won't you mature? Well, here we're going to reach in John chapter 13, right before... Now, the, the next few chapters leading up to the death of the cross is only 24 hours in the life of Jesus. It's at night. Jesus is going to die... The next day, he is teaching his disciples one last time, leaving them with a parting command in the next few chapters. He's leaving them with something that they must hang on to. What's he going to leave them with? What is going to make them a true disciple of Jesus Christ? He says in verse number 33, Little children, yet a little while am I with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you. Now, now this, is, this is important because Jesus sets them up in verse number 33. This is what I want you to hear. This is why I want you to listen. This is the most important thing that I can say to you. A new commandment. A new commandment that I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. This is the only time, as I said earlier in Scripture, that Jesus refers to his disciples as little children. It's not a 
It's not a condescending term. Jesus wasn't looking at his disciples and saying, hey, you little kids, listen up here. No, it was a term of endearment. It was affectionate term. I love you like my own sons. I love you like you are blood to me. Little children, I love you. Listen to me. We don't see that anywhere else, and he's about to drop a bomb on them, and the bomb is, I'm leaving you. Now listen, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a ch- child, when I was a, even a pre-teenager, I hated being alone, hated it. Like my mom and dad would be gone. Dad would be out working, and mom would have to go to the grocery store. And you would think I'd been old enough to at least stay in the house for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and I'm already like, there was no cell phones. There was no Life 360. I thought the rapture took place every time mom left. I thought they would say, hey, we got this plan. Let's leave Steve, (laughs) right? And so I would be like, man, after 15, 20 minutes, I'd be pacing. I'm like, man, I do not like, I like to know where my mom and dad is. Hey, I was that way with everybody. My grandmother one time, there was a department store by by the name of Hills. How many of you ever heard of Hills Department Store way back in the day? Old department store. My grandmother would go to Hills in Beckley, West Virginia, and she would take me as a kid and just me and her, and my grandmother never, so she would have to, she never drove, so we'd have to get a, a, a like an old taxi, it'd be like an Uber today, but we'd have to get a taxi to go to Hill. She's, she's 90 years old and never had her driver's license, never, never drove. So we would go, I always thought it was cool because I rode in a taxi with my grandma. They'd drop us off and grandma would get a buggy, she'd go into Hills and we would uh, be in there and sometime... Uh, in that little, my grandmother got sidetracked and went somewhere, and here I was, seven or eight years old, wandering around the store. So the only thing I knew to do was to go to the counter of the, uh, of the customer service, and I said, uh, ma'am, uh, I've lost my grandma. And here's what the woman did, no lie. Uh, would grandma come to the, cons- uh, come to the uh, desk, uh, only in West Virginia, right? And the, grandma, the right grandma came. There might have been other grandmas coming, but, but the right grandma came, and she took me. She said, Steve, you've, you've, you've wandered off, and I was. I was bad to wander, but then when I got out there in the toy section, and I looked around, and grandma wasn't there. I panicked. I hated being alone. Can you imagine these disciples? Everywhere that Jesus had went for three and a half years, he was there. He had promised them that everywhere you go, I'll be there. And now they're, they're messed up. What's going to happen? Look down in verse 34. Jesus looks at them and he wants to answer their fears at this moment. So we look again at part, part of verse number 34. He says, that new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Do you know what I believe he's saying? You're not alone. You have each other. Love each other. You're not all leaving each other. You're you're not leaving. I'm leaving, but you're going to be together. So guess what? Since you're together and I'm leaving you, love each other. He says, even to you, hey, you're not alone. You've got a brother in this room. You've got got a sister in this room. Hey, you have family that is supposed to love you like like I've loved you. There's Christians. Some of you in here are closer to your church family than you are your physical family. Love each other. Then look down in verse number 35. And because of this love that you have for one another, look at it. He says, by this, what's he talking about? By this love, 
By this love shall all men, not just church members, not just saved people, by this love shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. You know what he's saying? The world's going to take note of how the family loves each other. In Christ's day, the world could tell who a disciple was or who a Greek philosopher was by how intelligent they were. The world can tell who was a follower of Alexander the Great because of his passion for world domination. You could tell who a follower was of Adolf Hitler because their passion of of, of world conquering and hatred toward the Jews. You could tell who was a follower. And Jesus says... The world will be able to tell who you follow by how you love. So what is this new commandment? Well, we have three things about this. The number one thing is this. We have a new concept of love. A new concept of love. The word selected by the Lord for love is the word agape. As we normally refer to it, it is a word that refers to a, to a volational choice to sacrifice or to commit or to give. This is a deep love. This is a love that is deeply rooted in Christ. A love for one another. A love, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, hey husbands, love your wife as, as Christ has loved the church and given himself for it. What's interesting about this word agape is it's not found in any other Greek pre-biblical text. You can't find it in any Greek philosophy. You can't find it in any pre-biblical Greek things except in our Bible. Why? Because to the Greeks, agape love was boring. They would rather have eros, which was a sexual love. They would rather have phileo, which was a friendship. Hey, how are you doing? Good, man, it's good to see you. Let's go grab lunch together. Phileo. But agape? Why in the world would I love someone deeply like Christ? Why would I? I mean, that's boring. Why would you stay with someone the rest of your life? Why would you? Hey, they did not understand what agape love was. And here in our text, verse 34, he says, and this is agape love, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. It's a sacrifice. See, I believe this. Husbands and wives do not fall in love with each other. I know we use that. And listen, don't... It sounds good. Oh, I fell in love with her and she fell in love with me. No, no, no. You choose to love. Agape is a choice. It is a choice to love others. Here's the second thing we see. We see first, it is a new concept of love, but secondly, it's a new example of love. Verse 34, look at it again. It says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, Jesus is basically saying, move to the fourth level. I've showed you how to love. You can love because I've loved you. Now reproduce that love through your own life. Let your light shine because I have loved you. Let it, let it reflect off of your life into others. 
It is a new example of love. And here's what he says. Start with the 11 that is in this room. Now remember, Judas has done left. Judas walked out that night. Judas betrayed the Lord. So there's only 11 and Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and said, Hey, you can't love the world until you love the people in the room. Church, can I say you can't love the world until you love each other? How dare us go to the same church and call ourselves Bible Baptists, but we have odds with somebody. Oh, I I love our church, but I sure hate that person. I sure love my church family, except them, 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 and them. No, no, no. We love. And listen, there's going to be some that's going to make it difficult to love. I'm not going to say everybody's just so easy to love. There's some people hard to pastor. They're difficult. There's going to be some people hard to love. They're just, they're hard to love. They won't let you in. They're going to sometimes be brash and rude. Sometimes they're going to be very just private. And and you're going to say, man, I've tried everything. Hey, love them. Love them. I know love sometimes is reciprocated and sometimes it's not, but love them anyway. We forget that this is a command. And we forget that this command was given to 11 men we tend to sometimes make it much larger, but it was actually a smaller command to 11 men. And he says, love one another. Love each other. Jesus was saying, Peter, I know that you and John are totally different in personality, but I want you to love each other. Andrew, I know that you're daring, and I know that you rarely stop asking how, but here's Thomas, and Thomas needs some affirmation. Thomas needs some facts. Will you give him some facts? But I want you to love him. And Simon the Zealot, I know that you hate Rome. And I know that you even don't care much about the Jews that would betray the Jewish heritage. But here's Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. And Matthew, now now you let Simon love you. And Matthew, you love Simon. These 11 men could not have been more different. But Jesus says, get over your differences and love each other. This church could be, could not be any more different. This church, I'll be honest with you, is one of the most diverse churches that I've ever seen in my life. We have everything. Everything. You name it, we got it. Every walk of life, every part of the poor class to the medium class to some that have very been very successful class a high class we have any we have some that that would live in poverty we have some that live in very nice houses we've got some that are all over the place we got some that that uh, come from different nationalities we got some that come from different parts of the the nation we got some that had grew up in a different way we got some that are newly saved we got some been saved for years it could not be any more diverse but we got to get over that Let me tell you what makes you a mature Christian. It's not how much Bible you know. But it's how much you make people a disciple. I had someone stop me out here this morning. Pastor, you said that statement. Say it again. I, I thought it was how much Bible we know. No, no, no. It's what you do with the Bible. Well, why would we want to know more about the Bible? Just to sit there and sit soak and sour and be puffed up with pride and sit there and say, I know a bunch of Bible? Hey, what do we do with the Bible that we know? It should cause us to love others. 
I'm not interested in you coming up to me and telling me all this and all that and how much Bible and all the seminary you went to and good. And I'm not discrediting Bible knowledge. I think it's wonderful. And we're commanded to know the Bible. Listen, what are you doing with it? The Pharisees knew the Bible, but they had hatred in their heart. Doesn't impress me that the legalists know the Bible as well, but yet they do not care about others. Jesus makes it very clear in the application of agape love that it's a reproduction of love for them. That reproduction is a sign of maturity. I believe the adjective of Christ's love will be constant and caring and, and demanding and challenging and forgiving. And he knew what Peter would do. He knew that Peter would, would deny him when the cock, threw th- uh, cock crew three times and yet he still loved him. He knew what Judas would do, but he still loved him. I read a story not too long ago from a man by the name of Richard Carl. He wrote a book entitled, Will Daylight Come? He tells of a little boy who was visiting with his grandparents, and he was given by his grandparents a slingshot. I had a slingshot as a boy, and it it got me into some trouble. But he would go into the woods and he would, you know, try to, try to slingshot something. And, of course, he'd shoot over and he got frustrated. So he, he's walking to his grandmother's house, the one he's staying with, and his grandpa's house, and he sees some ducks in the backyard that belong to grandma. He takes that slingshot out, hits that duck right in the head, kills the duck. He's like, oh, no, duck is dead. So he says, what do I do? Can't tell grandma, that's her duck. So he goes and buries the duck in the fire, the firewood, kind of puts it underneath the wood, and maybe grandma won't find out. What he didn't know was Sally, his older sister, was around the corner watching the whole thing. Boy, older sisters, aren't they a blessing? I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said love each other. I believe the older sister was left out. So she saw that Johnny had killed the duck, and so she goes inside, and she's going to use that for her benefit. So Grandma says, hey, Susie, will you help me after supper? We're going to clean up, wash the dishes. And she said, no, I think we've got that covered. Johnny would like to help you remember the duck. Johnny clammed up real good, and he's like, okay. So he goes and helps his grandmother wash the dishes. Just in a little bit, Grandpa walks in with a fishing pole. Hey, Johnny, you'd like to go to the pond and fish? And Johnny said, oh, yeah, sure. And, and Susie spoke up and said, oh, no, no, I, I, I'm going to go with you today, Grandpa. Johnny's going to stay back and help Grandma remember the duck. And he's like, I can't live this way. Blackmail by my sister. So he's pacing back and forth, not sure what to do. Finally, he goes to Grandma and he spills the beans. He just says, Grandma, listen, you're not going to believe this. But the very slingshot that you bought me, I killed your duck. And I buried it in the firewood. And the grandma said, come here, Johnny. And she hugged him and she said, listen, I watched the whole thing from the kitchen window. And because I love you, I have forgiven you. You're not, there's nothing you're getting away with from God. And because God loves you, he's forgiven you. And because we're forgiven, we've been commanded to forgive others. All of us are guilty. Here's the love that Jesus speaks of. The third thing is we have a new impact because of love. 
a new impact because of love. How could you tell an Old Testament Jew from his, from his culture? I mean, how could you see this is an Old Testament Jew? Well, they had a diet that they had to stay by, a diet. They, could, they had to abstain from something. Sometimes they dressed differently. Although, of course, they traveled to the temple. So you could tell an Old Testament, they would go to, to, to the tabernacle or to the, to the temple. Uh, then, then they maybe the, what they believed in the rite of circumcision or how they sacrificed. So you could tell a Jew by these things. How could you tell a New Testament disciple? By what they wore? No. By what they ate? By how they loved. The impact that it made. In John's gospel, in John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus just gently yet forcefully says, don't hate one another. Don't be ungracious or unkind or quarrelsome or or discourteous to one another. You are to love one another. And when you love one another, it's a self-sacrificing love. It's a transparent love. It's a serving love. It's a practical love. And the world will take note. There was a man that stopped by the office this morning early. I, got, I get to the church pretty early on Sundays. And this man was not going to be able to attend our services this morning. So he knocked on my office door down at the education campus. And he said, Pastor, I'm not going to be able to be in church this morning. Could you preach what you're going to preach? Could you preach it to me? And for about 15 minutes, I sat in my office and I preached this message to this man sitting on my couch. That's weird, isn't it? We sat there and he started to cry and I started to cry. The Lord moved in that. Oh, it was a blessing. We just began and I was talking to him about love and I love this man and he loves me. We started talking about what this love has done and how it transformed our heart. And he told me this story and I thought it was amazing. He said, preacher, 10 years ago, I got a good job and he said, I was working at this plant, and he said, I invited people to church. I talked about Jesus all the time. He said, but this one day, my superintendent, my boss, ticked me off. He promoted somebody in front of me. He basically threw me under the bus. Really, he mistreated me. He said, I lost my cool on the job. He said, I got in his face. He said, my face was red. He said, I called him names. I was fed up, threw my lunchbox down. He said, I was mad until one of my coworkers that I'd been working on looked at me and said, I thought you were a Christian. Lost man. I thought you were a Christian. What was he saying? I thought you Christians love people. Can I ask you this? If somebody was watching you, and they are, could they tell that you're a disciple of Jesus by how you love? Not not your dress, not all the biblical lingo and all, no, no. Your love. We're living in a world full of hate right now. Christians are mad, political, get on social media. Preachers will blast each other and fight and call names. And, oh, you voted for this, man. You're And I'm talking about throwing names and mad. I hate you, man. What, kind? what is that? It's not of God. I mean, if you're a pastor and you're spitting hatred out of your mouth, I'd just love to see your church. 
I'm sure it's a loving church. Oh yeah, we're all capable of having a bad day. Please don't misunderstand me. We're, not, we're all capable of losing our temper. We're made of flesh. We're sinners. But you understand, if that is the constant for you, well, I just got a short fuse. No, you've got a love problem. You've got a love problem. Here's the application. Just in these four or five verses about love, For the world, Jesus has given them the opportunity to test our authenticity. Oh, you're going to be tested. Yeah, the world's going to test your love at times. And and Jesus has basically given the world, according to verse 35, He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I'm going to give you the right to prove the authenticity of anyone who says they belong to me. I'm sure if I had you close your eyes and bow your head this morning and said, how many of you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? A lot of your hands would go up. And and I hope. But then I would ask you, how's your love? You cannot be a disciple of Christ and have hatred in your heart toward a brother or sister or even toward the world. How's your authenticity? Can unbelievers tell that you are a Christian by the way you treat your wife or your husband? Can they tell you're a Christian by the way you talk to other people or about people? Here's number two. Here's the application. Well, real quick, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. I want to, talk, I want to just show you what Paul says to this, this church very, very carnal, malnourished church. All gifts are excellent. However, without charity, they're worth nothing. Look at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Notice what else he says in verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, that is a very spiritual thing. God has given you the gift to tell the truth, to speak truth, to teach and preach the Word of God. If He's given you that gift, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. It doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are. Faith that could move mountains if love is not in your heart. Nothing. Verse verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, who does that? Not some goods, all goods. So that means if you went out here today and you sold the house and whatever you made on the house and all the furnishings and all the things, and you went out here and you donated it all to feed the hungry, how, how sacrificial would that be? It'd be unbelievable. Nobody does that. But even if you walked in here and said, Pastor, I'm literally going homeless to feed other people. Some people would say, oh, wow, that's amazing. But if love is not in your heart, it's just a bunch of noise. And understand in verse 3, and feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. I mean, who would do that? A martyr. And have not charity. 
What's charity? Well, charity, they say, well, it's just love. No, 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 it's more than love. It's loving others the way that we've been loved by the Lord. It's agape. Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not itself, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. This, this is wonderful, but here's the deal. Many people possess certain gifts, certain qualities, certain attributes, and that's great. But if love is not in your heart, you're not a disciple. You're just a bunch of noise. Here's the second application. And by the way, Oswald Sanders said, you can preach, you can pray, you can give, you can serve, but if we can't love, we have accomplished nothing. Second application is this. Jesus has given us the responsibility of measuring our growth. Measuring our growth. See, for first century Christians, the test was more obvious. If you love Jesus, it usually cost you cutting your head off or being crucified or boiled alive with hot oil, hung upside down, beheaded. Well, that's not happening today in our American society. It is happening in the world, but not here. So what is the measure? How much do you love? How much are you willing to sacrifice because of others? You're willing to love and show them that you love. Not just tell them, listen. Not just tell them. We're really good at that. Love you, brother. Love you. Boy, I love you. I sure love you. Boy, we use that word so much. Man, I love this. I love this. Do you? Can you honestly say this morning that you love your church family? Let me ask you this before we leave. You love them enough that when you find out a need that you'll do what you can to meet that need? You love somebody that is Listen, you love somebody that is hurting, that you know good and well that is hurting, and you go and you write them a little note or send them a little text or send them a little gift card or just love you. I love you. I'm there for you. Call me anytime. Talk to me anytime. I love you. I love you. I lo Listen, we are good about words. We're good about saying that we love people, but yet we don't pray for them. We don't support them. We don't encourage them. Church, listen, all of us in here could work on a good dose of love. And the way that we can love others is because Jesus has loved us first and has forgiven us. None of us in here deserve what we have. Let's reflect God's love to others. And as Jesus said in verse 35 of the Gospel of John, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's pray.